Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode, uh, one where we're going to go back to story. Uh, we love when we can marry the power of story and couple that with professional expertise. And we have that today uh, with uh, Dr. Kat, uh, Dr. Katarina Rosenblatt. She is one that has a personal story of human trafficking from the time she was just 13 years of age to 17. Throughout her early life, she experienced several separate trafficking scenarios, drug addiction, and domestic violence. With so many triumphs over unbeatable obstacles, Katarina is now a much sought after speaker and trainer in the areas of human trafficking and domestic violence, as well as an inspirational leader to many women all over the world. Katarina holds a Master of Law degree from St. Thomas University School of Law in Miami, where she got her start in activism against human trafficking. There, she was on the inaugural Law Review for Human Trafficking in 2005, then on Child Soldiering in 2006. Uh, Dr. Kat also holds a PhD with her dissertation entitled Trafficking in America, the Most Undetected Human Rights Violation of Our Time. This was published by Lambert Academic Publishing in 2014. She's also written two books, including her memoir, Stolen, uh, which was published in 2014. And we have Dr. Kat with us today to share her story, uh, share about her journey of restoration, uh, what she's doing now to fight human trafficking and help us understand slavery as it is in human trafficking. Dr. Kat, welcome to the program. Hi, Nate. Thank you so much for having having me on your program. And hello to all of your listeners. Thank you for being here. We've been setting this up for quite a while. You and I met, uh, oh, what, was it two years ago, maybe, uh, at a counseling conference, maybe a year ago? A year um, ago, yeah. And it was mm-hmm. just in passing. Um, I was leaving a session. You were setting up for your session to share there. Um, and something prompted me just to get your card. And here we are today. I love it. Yeah. And you were so kind. You were helping me because I was completely lost with like the technical stuff. But as I could see, you are the tech guru. Oh, well, I don't know about that. But uh, what I do like to do is, is uh, like we talked about sharing stories and you have a unique uh, ability now. Uh, you've taken your story and made it your life's work, your life's passion um, and before we get into your passion and your life's work, let's give the listener a little bit of a background here, um, because your story is not a light one. Your story is one of of heartbreak and manipulation and and lies and uh, really childhood stolen. Um, but uh, can you just take us back to wherever you would like to begin your story uh, for Cat? Tell us your story. Where does it start? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Nate. So I grew up in an abusive home in South Florida. My dad was a Jewish businessman and my mom was from Europe and she was very um, polite, very passive, uh, you know, just kind of grew up with that whole uh, modeling of abuse by men. And unfortunately, left me with the scars of low self-esteem, you know, lack of a self-worth and just really feeling lost. So 
one day my mom had taken me to a Billy Graham crusade because she did search for God. And I am obviously eternally grateful because <laughs> I did go with her um, and my abusive dad who drove us because she didn't drive. He stayed in the stands and I said yes to the call. Uh, to receive Jesus in my heart. And I remember even as a little kid, I just heard the words that he said that you can have peace. And I was like, oh, my life is so terrible, like so much chaos. Little did I know what was to come. Now, I will say this, since your audience is believers mostly, um, I will say that after I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade, I got trafficked. So God is not the author of these terrible things, you know, and as believers, many of us know that, but I did have an opportunity to serve him before. And I said, no. So when I said, no, the devil was right there, you know, ready to pounce on me. And um, when the opportunity came again, this time I said yes, and I learned never again to say no to God because the tests are so much worse later when you could either do it the easy way or you could do it the hard way. You know, um, I had a rebellious and stubborn heart, and, um, you know, I do believe some of the, a lot of the experiences I went through were because I made the wrong decisions with the wrong friends and not listening to the voice of God, but I also did not have much discipling or mentorship to help guide me into what hearing God's voice meant. So at what age is, is this all going on? Is Because we I know we gave it away in kind of the, the pre-share, the, the preamble there, but age 13, um, I mean, I'm thinking about my kiddos, they're age six, you know, going on 21, but uh, my girls with this, you get to age 13, uh, you're, you're still just a kiddo. Um, you really are. So how, how does one uh, get into this sort of thing? Because it doesn't sound like you're, you know, just choosing. You, you talk about your choices. Mm -hmm. You're not choosing that. Um, you don't know what you're getting into, I'm assuming. Yep. How do you end up getting trafficked? Yeah, exactly, Nate. So I learned at 13, your frontal lobe is not even fully developed. And this older girl befriended me at the pool area. She came across as, you know, an angel of light. Like she was blonde hair and blue, blue eyed and she was thin and pretty and everything I thought I wanted to be. And so she befriended me and she basically mirrored the pain that I said I was experiencing at home, she said she had gone through that and she was experiencing the same thing or had experienced it with her dad, you know, abuse, physical violence, all of this, you know, um, different types of sexual abuse, verbal abuse. And so she gained my trust. And I found in doing my PhD dissertation that you mentioned trafficking in America, I found that the average grooming period is a month mm -hmm. to gain a child's trust into sex trafficking or even an adult. And I should say, um, if, if I may give a definition yeah, or anybody, thank you for anybody that doesn't know under the trafficking victims protection act, which is our U S law, 
um, anyone under the age of 18 who's engaged in any form of commercial sex, whether it's stripping, porn, prostitution, massage parlors, they are considered to be victims and not making these choices through volition or, or through their a full understanding of what's happening. Sometimes they are not working with a pimp. They're working on their own. They've learned it from somewhere, but they're starving or an opportunity comes up. Sometimes there is forced fraud and coercion, which are the elements required if someone's over 18. But for minors, it's understood that just being engaged in these acts or uh, labor, whether it's sex or labor, uh, they're victims of human trafficking. So in my case, at 13 years old, Mary didn't come across and say, oh, would you like to engage in commercial sex? I have this opportunity for you. Because, you know, what 13-year-old is going to accept that? Sure. It wasn't something my mom had told me prostitution is bad. My mom had told, you know, like she had taught me values. And like I said, she was looking for God. So she tried to live a good life as a good person, even though we didn't really have much discipling going on. She was fleeing my abusive dad and we were at this hotel. She still constantly was a good mother, very nurturing and taught me that I was loved by her. And so when Mary befriended me, she made it sound like, you know, we were going to go on dates with guys and, and that's what they call trafficking is dates. So it's not what they make it out to seem, you know, and she was trying to minimize it so that when it did happen, I wouldn't be like shocked. I would, it would already seem kind of normal, but honestly, it never really did sink in what she was like actually doing. I kind of got the idea that maybe she's not a good girl. That's what my mom would call it. Somebody who is involved in prostitution. And I kind of got that feeling, but I didn't want to say anything because she was so invested in me. Like she spent every day with me, you know, so she was like my best friend, my protector, all the things that you know, I was missing in my life because my mom was still being abused by my dad, even though she was taking two buses to go work for him, you know, and so she didn't have a lot of emotional energy to spend on me. And a lot of parents just check out when they're in difficult situations. And when you're checking out, they're checking in because they can see that your child is vulnerable, is a latchkey kid, is alone, at, or at least feels alone in this world. And that was me. And so that's how she started her friendship with me. So it sounds like she zeroed in on your need, your point of, of where you were hurting and just mirrored that back to you, like you said. But with that, she paid a lot of attention. You know, I, I see on Facebook and not to go down a side road too far, but everybody does these sensational watch out for a piece of tape on your car window because they're going to abduct oh, you I from know. Target. Um, but, and, and that may very well be, I don't know the veracity of those claims, but for you, it sounds like they left you exactly where you were. They left you in your mother's care and then just groomed you somehow to, uh, think they were a safe place to be. Uh, so it doesn't sound like you were abducted at all. Um, you were still with your parents while this was happening. Is that the case? In this first experience, it was uh, a lot of grooming. You're right. And you're also accurate that not every trafficking is the same. 
So sometimes traffickers, I, I feel like they may have gotten more bold in these days and it's increased, you know, because of the economy or because of the way things are going in the world that they're able to get away with it much more easier or people don't know about it in some states, in some areas, you know. And so I think training for law enforcement is still a very important piece um, for communities. You know, there's there's just um, like there was a shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and it seemed like the law enforcement didn't know what to do because maybe they didn't have active shooter training. And I'm not going to make light of it, but working alongside the FBI, you know, I've been fortunate to listen in on trainings covering everything, you know, and I think that for sure schools need to be trained on both active shooter and human trafficking because human trafficking is something that it relies on supply and demand. So children are the biggest supply and that's one of the most important curriculum we could teach to our kids to empower them to be uh, equipped and self-aware of what's going on. So in my case, the first trafficking, Mary did groom me for a month. She groomed my mom too because she brought me home when my mom said, you know, eight o'clock, whatever, don't go far, stuff like that. But she would do these tests like take me over this big bridge. Like we would go walking. She would say, I'm going to help you lose weight. And then we would do these tests where I had to rely on her friendship to save me. So like we would go down this, um, this ladder halfway through the bridge, which is like hundreds of feet high. And she would say, do you trust me? Do you trust me? The only way to get back up is if you'll trust me. And I never really thought about that before, but it is, um, a trauma bonding. It is a way that she's creating this bond with me and she's actually setting up the trauma scenario. And so then I'm more indebted to her because she, she saved me. She rescued me from this bad situation. So, um, I was so scared, you know, at 13 years old, like being left in the middle of the sky. And so she pulled me up and, you know, walked me down the bridge and, you know, it just different weird things like that traffickers will do to gain the trust of a child. And so they're really invested in this. And so this is the first story. I'll tell you how it, it went down. Um, she told me that I was going to uh, meet a man in the hotel who was an older man and he was going to be a father just to me. And so she said, go home and put a little white dress on. I mean, go home and put a white dress. I only had a little white jean dress because my, my mom didn't have a lot of money being a single parent. And um, I went home, put makeup on, told my mom I was going with Mary. So she really didn't even question and because she had already gained her trust. And so then I went to meet Mary in the stairwell and we went up to this 65-year-old sex tourist room, which I know the terms now. Obviously, I just thought, who is this dirty old man with no shirt on? <laughs> like, I was kind of grossed out because I was dressed, you know, pretty and my mom's makeup and stuff. And I'm like, who is this? I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm safe, you know? And we stepped into his room and I heard Mary lock the door. And the man 
yeah, that was the beginning of the trafficking scenario or experience for me, you know, but I still trusted Mary. I just looked at this man, like, who are you and why aren't you dressed? As he got closer to me and began touching my shoulders and my hair and telling me how beautiful I was, it was like he was in some kind of fantasy because I'm like, I'm, I'm a little kid. I'm, you know, thinking to myself, like, I'm not really sure this is, you know, uh, appropriate, but I don't know what to say because I was taught to be polite and especially to your elders. And sometimes you do not need to be because they do not have good intentions. And so it's very important to teach your kids the difference between right and wrong, healthy and unhealthy, you know, in those situations. And you must empower your children and you must in must get involved and engaged in their lives. That's a given. Like, don't leave it up to the schools to teach your kids everything. I think schools should, but they're definitely not going to teach them uh, the life-saving tips that you as a parent are. And that can be, that can be, those can be awkward conversations <laughs> to have with your kid. And, you know, they, sh they should really start uh, earlier because uh, things are happening earlier. Um, so there's creative ways to do that. But for you as you're going into this scenario um, and I, I mean, the red flags are there, but you've, this trauma bonding has taken place. And so right. you're, you're trusting your friend. Um, and then she just leaves you down this wreck, this hole, this rabbit hole, um, and, which you're probably getting nothing out of because um, they're not doing it for your benefit. Mm -hmm. How does something, and you said this is the one of uh, a couple times this happened, but mm -hmm. How does something like this end? Because you don't just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to clock out and uh, I'm done with everybody. Uh, uh, slavery is done for me right now. Right. How, how, right. How did you get out of that first situation? What did that look like? So I'll fast forward to that and say that first situation, how do you get out of it? Prayer. Honest to God, prayer. Because I may not have had a lot of discipling, but I had that Holy Spirit. I had the Lord in my heart. And when they started negotiating my price, I just remember praying and just saying, God, help me. And you know what? Even a 13-year-old little girl's cry can be heard by God because he, he is so faithful to not leave us. And that's what Billy Graham said. And I never forgot it at his cru crusade when he pointed his bony finger at me you know there in the bottom of the uh, of the platform that you go up front and he said god will never leave you or forsake you and this was that moment it came to my mind and so it was like the holy spirit gave me this boldness even at 13 so when i wouldn't take the first step was not to take the marijuana that they were giving me and mary tried to pretend like it was good for me she was pretending to smoke it but she wasn't and that stuff can be laced mm. you know it's a it's a gateway drug to human trafficking so i recommend for children of course to still say no to drugs mm -hmm. um so in that case i there was that campaign going on and my mom had told me so i said no to it and i started to feel like this boldness when this man asked me, you know, like, how are they going to get me to stay? He said, would anyone miss you if you were gone? 
And I said, my mom would. And I stood up with my hands on my hips at 13. And that was my beginning of saying no to slavery there at 13 years old in this hotel room. So if I could do that, anyone can do that. Anyone can get involved in the fight like you're doing today, having this podcast and your listeners are doing by listening to it. You know, it takes bravery to engage in the fight against trafficking because there are 13 year old little girls right now in a hotel room that can't say no, can't stand up and say, my mom will come looking for me because they don't have a mom. Or they can't say, my mom's cooking dinner for me because maybe they're in foster care and they're one of many children who have only one caretaker to look after all of them. So you have to be the voice for them. And I'm just one voice crying out in the wilderness, honestly, saying, hey, come help me. Come help me. Where are you? You know, because there are so many kids locked away still in this. And this problem is just it's a pandemic of its own. It's just getting worse and worse, like we talked about with the different tactics that traffickers are using to lure not just little girls, but also little boys and young women and young men for the purpose of sexual slavery. In that first experience, I do believe God got me out of that. I went home and because he got mad, the guy got mad, the John, and he kicked us out. He felt like it was too dangerous. So that was a direct answer to my little prayer. And unfortunately, Mary, though, was very angry, told me not to tell my mom. Number one, if kids, if you hear someone say that, always tell your mom, mm, always yes. tell your dad, tell somebody and keep telling until somebody listens or believes you. And Finally, um, I'll say that my mom's parenting instincts definitely kicked in. She, after a month of this grooming process, she says, I don't have a good feeling about this girl. And I'm thankful that she did. She said, I don't want you to hang around her anymore. And I always try to tell kids, listen to your parents when they say somebody's not good. They can see something that you cannot because your emotions are tied to it as a child. They can see beyond that. You know, even my own daughter, if I can take a break just for a minute yeah. um, to divert, my daughter got accepted into college when she was 17. So I moved to Orlando with her and she got recruited. This girl came to my house and I remember, <laughs> I mean, you'll laugh because I was just like, I knew exactly where she was coming from. I mean, I could feel it like so, you know, as parents, you have to trust your instincts. I sat this little girl down. She was maybe 19. And I said, what do you want with my daughter? Because I know it's not good. And I'm sorry if that offends you. I really don't care. I said, this is my book. This is what I've experienced. Have you experienced this? Oh, oh, no, 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 nothing like that. Okay, great. Well, you don't need to hang around my daughter. She's still a minor. Okay. And you know what? Thank God I did that. And my daughter might have been upset at first, but within months, she had recruited a little boy uh, who my daughter knew, a 16 year old boy, pretending to be his girlfriend and switched him into, um, you know, selling his body for sex to men online for $200 a night. And this little boy, my daughter said, mom, you were right about that girl. And I said, I know I was, 
she said, listen, so-and-so he's stuck at this house. Now, can we help him? I'm going to go get him. I said, now you little girl, hold on. <laughs> That's not how you do it. You know, I mean, I work with the, the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security. You don't run out there and just go rescue somebody. There is a process. And because you're involved in this, we are going to do this through the National Human Trafficking Hotline. You're going to call them. You're going to tell them everything you know and let them send it to the authorities. Okay. Because they need to hear firsthand what happened. What did he tell you? He's drugged. Okay. We will go pick him up, but we're going to let law enforcement go in first, take down the trafficker, and you can call him and tell him come outside because we're outside. And that's what we did. And I brought him home and cooked him spaghetti and gave him my book. And I said, <laughs> don't you ever trust those people again, because what you've experienced, you know, we went through, and this is what I do with my nonprofit. There's hope for me is help survivors understand the dynamics and the betrayal so that they don't get re-trafficked or re-traumatized. But unfortunately for me, back there in that hotel room, there was no nonprofit. There was no anti-trafficking organizations. There was no Human Trafficking Victims Protection Act. There was no law about it. There was child abuse. And that's about as you know, tough as it got. Um, but as far as for me, in this first instance, I listened to my mom. And the next day, after she told me, don't hang around Mary, I went back to the same uh, pool area, the same group of friends. This, you know, I was still in the hotel. And there were other kids that were part of Mary's trafficking ring. And so it tur turned out to be networked throughout the hotel. There were employees that were even getting paid to be involved in it. And they are sometimes involved in it um, because, you know, Mary was willing to sell me for $550 for my virginity. So there's a lot of money to be made and it is the second largest growing uh, criminal industry behind arms dealing. So unfortunately, a lot of people find that lure more appealing than protecting the innocent. And in my case, I was kidnapped and drugged and left for dead. So I did experience some of that kidnapping by these kids. Um, they were older kids that were sent to, to get me, you know, manipulate me and tell me I had to make it up to Mary. But I did finally find myself on a gravel parking lot and I started to pass out and they drove away. They left my body there, but for God, mm. because I tell you, honest, honestly, whoever is a Christian and has his spirit can understand this. His spirit is so powerful. I heard God speak to my heart and say, get up and walk. And it's not an audible voice. It's just in your heart. But he was so loud in my heart. And I was like, it was almost like he was determined to get me up. And I was like, I don't know how I can't. I'm, I was so tired from the drugs that they gave me. Nate, honestly, I thought I was going to die there at 13. And I just saw my little body crumpling to the floor. But I felt God just really firmly saying, get up and walk, get up, you have to get up. And I said, help me. You know, when you say help me to God, he helps you. It was like resurrection time. Okay. So then I stood up somehow and 
staggered to a payphone and was able to dial zero and get through to my mom who um, made her way over there and found me, you know, through a whole lot of other scenarios, which you can read in the book Stolen. But I was able to be rescued. And the doctor said, you know, the drug they gave me was lethal. Mm. So it should have killed me. But again, God had a plan. And now we see that because we see all these, you know, precious little girls that send me letters and, you know, thank me for helping them get out of human trafficking and um, cook me dinner, dinners. I mean, I'm just like, I'm overwhelmed by the fruit that comes from this ministry. It's, I don't get paid a salary for doing it. This is my heart. You know, I do, I get paid doing speaking and consulting. I am just so grateful to have the opportunity to give back to others. You know, it's not even like a burden to work with. It's not a burden at all. It is love. And I believe that's when you are fulfilling your calling. You know it because it's not a challenge. I mean, you do have challenges, but you're just so filled with joy and so grateful for the opportunity to give back because of what God has done for you. Jesus saved me so that I can help save others out of trafficking. Now, I still give them the gospel and the opportunity to receive the Lord as their savior. And I will say the majority, if they are not already believers, because like me, the devil has gone after Christians, God's children. But if they are not believers, they, the majority of the time will receive Christ. I think there was only one girl that said no, um, because she practiced some other religion, but the majority have received Jesus. I've even been part of their baptisms and, um, you know, I always just want to respect them and show them love and just be there for them and be kind to them. And a lot of times it's just that love that draws them to want to know Jesus and want to be in the family and faith um, and the family of God. And that sense of belonging that comes with being a Christian fulfills their heart and their need. So you just took us on this huge roller coaster ride of not just your story, but then just a casual sidebar of you helping to rescue someone else out of human trafficking, which is something that you apparently you're one of those heroes that's going out there and helping people this way um, in any way you can. So first of all, thank you yeah. uh, for that, because uh, that's that can be a thankless job. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> I guess it's not a job, a mission, a mission. Uh, that you're on. Mm. Um but man, listening to you talk about that, there's like we don't have time to get in all the questions I want to ask. But I do want to circle back around to one thing. Sure, you talked about, um, you know, your your father's away. Um, them zeroing in on this this need of yours for a father yes. figure, telling them, "Hey, we found a father figure," mm-hmm. and then perverting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to zero in on you for that. Uh, what? How did you feel? And what has that done uh, to you to go into that situation with one more time expecting to find a father figure and instead having them haggle over your value? What has that done to your value? Hmm. What a good question. Yeah, I I hadn't thought of that, but uh, definitely I believe you hit on something that has not been touched on before. And I think that may have been an added vulnerability 
then because from there, you're right. My worth was just what, $550 or less, you know, because then I was left for dead if I wasn't going to cooperate. So I really wasn't worth anything to them, but I was worth so much more to someone else. And that was to Jesus Christ because I received him as my savior and the blood of Christ redeemed me. It is not me and myself, you know, that I should boast about it because it's definitely not me. It is all God. This ministry, this, the resurrection, you know, of him, the resurrection of me, the resurrection of anybody out of darkness into light is all God. And so I'm grateful that he has transformed my understanding of my worth, like you said, which was in the toilet as a result of my family upbringing of, you know, just having a lack of the true father in my life. And so once that relationship developed, you know, and it took me having to go through many, many dark seasons, Nate, I'm telling you, I guess God wanted to make himself so real to me that he brought me through trials. Like I was at in a drive-by shooting. I, I was involved in gangs. I was trafficked again in my middle school. It was just like, it, it should be a movie, you know, because it was one thing after another, after another. And God showed up and God and God. And so it was like, to the point that now when I talk to survivors, and I'm sorry, I keep going to that, but that is my passion, you know, yeah. is to help trafficking survivors everywhere, is to give them hope, to bring them, you know, the message of hope through the gospel, that they're not alone, and that there is hope for them. And getting to do that just fulfills my mission and my purpose. And I'm just so honored. I go into the juvenile jails, the public schools, the truck stop, or I've gone into the truck stops and the strip clubs um, in the past. I'm recently recovering from open heart surgery. I had an, an aneurysm, a spot aneurysm just decided to pop up. Yeah, last year, actually, I'm one year uh, from uh, ago, I was diagnosed with an aneurysm. Again, just another battle. I'm here. I got my... Um, six month all clear yesterday from my cardiothoracic surgeon that, you know, I'm doing good and I am ready to serve the Lord once again. So it's just like, you know, battle time, like bring it on because I'm ready to go. I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> well, there, there is no movie, but there is a book. And you mentioned uh, what you've told us so far and you've mentioned so many more things just that are in there. Um, that I, I don't want to give away too much more. I want people to go get that book and read it. Where can Thank people you. find your book, uh, more about your organization and, and what you do? Thank you, Nate. Yeah. And, and thank you again for having me on. It's been so fun just, you know, sharing in the Lord because you don't get to do this on other podcasts. So I've really enjoyed this. And uh, like I told you before, I needed this. You know, the world is dark, but there is hope. And so they can go to my website, www.thereishopeforme.org, and they can purchase both my memoir, Stolen. Uh, the true story of a sex trafficking survivor or my dissertation trafficking in America. Or of course it's on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes and Noble or audiobook. So whatever you do, just get it and get educated, get educated. That's my key. Get educated, get involved. And by all means, please pray, 
pray for us, pray for all the survivor organizations that are out there because to be honest, we are the grassroots and we are the ones making a huge difference in the lives of other trafficking survivors. I really do believe that God saved us for a reason and a purpose. And we are just trying to fulfill that purpose. The great commission, just like Jesus called us to. I love it. And we'll put those uh, those links down in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can just scroll down there, click on that and head on over. Cat, uh, before I let you go. Uh, there, there may be someone out there who's listening who, and the chances are uh, pretty good mm. that there's someone who was right where you were as a 13 year old girl. Um, yeah. They want to serve Jesus uh, or live a good life. And they've made some bad decisions, found themselves in a dark, dark hole mm. where they don't know how to get out. Um, or there may be someone that's, that knows someone that is like that. Mm. Um, and I, I just from cat to, to the listener, to that individual, if there's something you could say to them right now, what would it be? First of all, you're not alone and there is hope for you. And you definitely do not deserve to be abused or exploited. Even if you're on the verge of taking that opportunity, that date, that job, that modeling gig, that purse, that free something know that there is a price attached to that and it will cost you everything it is a lifetime journey of healing but there is hope for you so please reach out you can call 888-3737-888 which is the national human trafficking hotline anybody can call and report that and report anonymously. If you are a survivor and you need to get out of that situation, just know I am here for you. We are here for you. There are many survivors here for you, but most importantly, God is there for you. So pray and ask God for help. And you can text be free, B-E-F-R-E-E. That's B-E-F-R-E-E. And again, the phone number 888-3737-888. But I want to speak to your heart. I want you to be empowered to know that you can overcome this. Fight for your life. Fight now like you've never fought before. Nobody deserves to be abused or exploited. If you have the opportunity, scream. If you can, run. If you can, fight. Don't be polite. Fight and get out of that situation and keep telling. Tell someone. Keep telling until they believe you. And I'll see you on the other side because I know you can do it. If there was hope for me, there is definitely hope for you. Oh, I love the powerful words from Dr. Kat. And if you need a place to reach out to, obviously Dr. Kat, uh, you can reach out to her or reach out to Grace Story Ministries. Uh, you can. There's a, 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 an anonymous place. You can go on there and just click contact contact us. We'll be happy to help you out Amen. as well. Um, Dr. Kat, thank you so much for coming on Grace Story Podcast today. Your time is valuable. So we appreciate you coming on and sharing your uh, your story, your talent, your passion, uh, and your resources. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nate. This was so much fun. It was actually refreshing. I don't know where the time went. God bless you and your ministry here at Grace Story. It was such a pleasure and an honor. And to you, the listener, uh, we will be back in two weeks, of course, with another episode. Until then, we hope that you'll continue on your journey of restoration. Uh, Like I say each time, again, there is no us without you. So 
get over to GraceStoryMinistries.com. Get ready for Women's Conference coming up in November. Men's Conference launching uh, the following year in 2023. Uh, We'd love to see you there. I'd love to shake your hand and meet you and understand more about you and your story. All right, we'll be back in two weeks. And until then, we'll be praying for you on your journey of restoration.